a teaching from scripture this morning, Luke chapter 6. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. There is a student or two this morning so delighted for this teaching. Blessed are those of us who feel poor. Yours is the kingdom of God right now. Jesus not only blesses but acknowledges the poor. Do you feel just a little bit better? Not really, huh? Blessed are the poor. Right now, today, Jesus says, this is that same place we've been speaking about all week where Jesus comes down and stands on a level place and a power is radiating out of him like dynamite to heal all the people. They want to touch Jesus and be healed. And then he starts to speak. This teaching is among the others we've looked at this week. Blessed are the poor right now today for theirs is the kingdom of God. My, do I remember being poor as a student here. We shopped with calculators in our hands. We put food back in the grocery store. I remember when our children were born, we were on student and then resident insurance and, and still injections when they had to be vaccinated at the FMO. And I stood in line at the county health department because the shots were free. I remember once in a Bible study class, there was a person who was past all of this in his life. He believed in something called the prosperity gospel, which I don't subscribe to, but he believed that God wants all of us to be actually wealthy, that, it, that God wants to bless all of us with the desires of our hearts while we're here on this earth, and that if we pray for it and want it and we remain faithful, God will pour out material blessings. It's part of something called the prosperity gospel. I remember hearing him in a Bible study class when we were students still at Loma Linda, this guy said God would pour out his blessings to those who were faithful, and he believed that because he, he, he knew how to handle his money, he'd shown himself responsible that God had blessed him with material wealth. And I remember going home that night late and praying a very quiet prayer. God, I promise we can handle it. We can be responsible. Pour it out. Blessed are those who are poor. Jesus is going to go on to say, and cursed are those who are wealthy. But before we read that, I want to ask you, how much is enough in this life? How much wealth is enough? And how do we know when we have enough? And, and isn't the point of having Material blessings, isn't that a good thing in the long run? Because we can share more. Mark Zuckerberg, one of the wealthiest young adults, right, in the nation. He's a billionaire. So if, is it okay, is it enough for Mark if he gives $100 million to the New Jersey school system? 44,000 children blessed a couple years ago because, oh, when that social media movie came out, Mark wasn't looking too good. So he opened his wallet. Is $100 million enough if you're a billionaire? How much is enough to give away? How much is enough to keep? And how do we know the difference? And why does it matter right now? Because in this conversation, equilibrium this week, I've been suggesting when we pattern our life after Jesus, 
That's when we find the most equilibrium deep in our soul. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor. How much is enough? You can go to the Global uh, Rich List website if you'd like to know where you stand in the world with your income. You can go to the Global Rich website and you can enter your income in here. So if you wanted to know, for example, Kobe Bryant, how wealthy he is in the scheme of things, the website won't even handle $30 million a year, by the way. So let's go with something a little more realistic. I will give you the salary, my, my salary when I worked for Adventist Health System a few years ago, all right? This is a professional salary in the 80s, $18,500. Would you enter that? Isn't that a great salary? Did you know students can live on that? $18,500. How, how, where does that put us in the world? Move down to the percentage. You are in the top 12% of the richest people in the world if you earn $18,500 a year. Not something. How much, is, how much can a student earn in a year on a part-time job? What's the number? 18,000? No, lower. Can we put in 10? Are you okay with that? No, no lazy students, but working students. 10? Let's, you like 11? What's the difference between 10 and 11, my dear? Three months worth of rent. We'll put, in, we'll put in 10,000, let's do that. Let's try 10 and then we'll go down to five for those of you who work less. <laughs> All right, where are you? Where do you rank? If you make 10,000 a year, you are still within the top 13% of the richest people in the world. For the poor soul who only earns $5,000 a year, who you take it from your, um, from your debt load, right? From, from the credit you've been extended. Let's say you live, you totally live on 5,000 a year. Where does that put you among the world, world's richest? Uh, 5,000 a year. Show us the money. You are still in the top 14.39% of the richest people in the world. And we wonder, is that really possible? The text from the Bible, I'm going to give you a translation for Jesus' teaching. Privileged are the destitute and troubled are those who are abundantly supplied. Privileged are the destitute. Troubled are the abundantly supplied. Privileged are the destitute, the, the beggars, really. The, the word is for those who crouch. Not those who feel poor like us. I feel poor when I've paid all my bills. I feel poor when I've set away money for retirement. I feel poor after vacation and birthday parties and the holidays. You feel poor after rent and a tuition payment. And you feel poor after a trip to the dentist and to get medicine from the pharmacy. That's not the kind of poor Jesus is talking about. Poor are, blessed are the destitute, those who crouch in the corner, those like beggars, those are the ones, he says, are privileged. There is something about crouching that is, allows for a privileged kind of status. But Jesus doesn't leave it with this teaching. Let me give you the next one that comes along in this passage. Luke chapter 6 again. Blessed are you who hunger now. For you'll be satisfied. It's a good text before lunch, by the way. Blessed are you who are hunger, for you will be satisfied. Woe to you, if you put it right next to the other teaching in the passage, woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. I'm going to give you a translation that I find easier to understand. Privileged are the starving, troubled are those with plenty. 
Troubled are those who are satiated, who have excess. Yesterday, there was pizza out here, right, on the green. From here all the way down to the Centennial Complex, it was like Little Italy <laughs> dumped on Loma Linda. But y'all didn't just have a piece of pizza or two. I saw students with cartons, right? We got all the way down to the Centennial Complex, and students were offering us just boxes of pizza because there was so much left over here. The text said, says that those of us who are satiated, who have plenty, that we're a little bit troubled. Troubled are those who have plenty. And it makes me wonder what this means now, that those who have less, who crouch like beggars, and those who go hungry, somehow in their lives there seems to be room for something that those of us who have plenty don't have access to. I'm not sure exactly what that is. Something in the lives of those who go without. I want to show you a, a few images now this morning, and we'll take our time. Maybe you've seen the projects here. This one is called Hungry Planet, the Hungry Planet Project. It's a few years old now. Reporters visited more than 30 nations, and, and they met families, families of average income. And they asked families of average income to show us, actually, these are, let's, we'll do belongings first. This is from the Material World Project, a very similar project. These, show us the belongings in your home. They lived with these people for a week, learned about their lives, and then they asked them to move all their belongings, whatever they owned, put them out in front of your house. So this is a family in England, and these are all of their belongings. You can see from the ironing board all the way over to their car. Next, we'll look at a family in Italy. You see the garage door open. If you want to go back, you can see the garage door propped open. That's their little vehicle poking out from the dog and the doll in the front all the way back. These are their family possessions. Here's a family in Kuwait. Yeah. What is it you're coveting right there? <laughs> the vehicles? The rugs? It's a family in Kuwait with all their belongings out in front of their home. You know what country we're in now? Argentina. Life looks a little different for this family in Argentina. Although I do notice they got all of their shoes in the picture. Here, here's a family from Mexico with their television in the picture. This family lives in South Africa. And this a place where life really can be lived in the streets, this is Cuba. And you can see from the armoire all the way over to their two televisions. And these are all the people that live in one home together and their belongings in Cuba. The next location is Mongolia, including the farm animals. Still a television, it seems, and still a television here. <laughs> We're now in Albania, and the home is back behind, and I see only one bed for a family of five, and a donkey or a burrow in the picture. This is India. 
and a large family bed and a bicycle, and I don't find a TV any longer in these photos. But look at the, the food supply on the right. These people on top of their dwelling, this is Ethiopia. And this, if any of you have read the book, I think it's called The Happiness Project, a, a writer in search of the happiest people in the world. This is Bhutan, some of the happiest people in the world, who live with very, very little, but they seem to live very content and pleasant lives. This is the family there and all of their belongings out in front of their house. Now we're gonna do something similar, only this time we'll look at what the families consume, what a week, full, a week of food looks like in just a few cities. This is from the book Hungry Planet. Maybe you saw it in Time Magazine or listened on NPR. Reporters who visited these families. We're starting with Bhutan where we ended. It's not just the amount of food they eat, but if you look at what the diets consist of, I'm sure that the School of Public Health is already um, interested in things like this. This is the family, all of them dwell together, and this is all of those people, this is their diet for one week. Next, we go to Chad. And you're looking for the food. It's in the bags of grains there, a few little pieces of produce in the front. Look at all the water behind them. In Ecuador, look how happy they look eating plantains. <laughs> and I don't know, these are leeks and what all. That, that looks like a lot of plantains. What country are we in? If you just look at the bottled products in the front. It's not America yet. This is Germany. These are, uh, you would expect a little more smile on their face for all the bottled products in the front of the picture. <laughs> this is what this family in Germany lives off of, and this family, obviously, in Japan. Lot of little packaged things there, but I was interested in, uh, I, I, there's a lot of noodles and stuff, but I'm interested in that watermelon. I don't, I, um, they grow some beautiful produce in Japan, that's for sure. And here you go. <laughs> you just kind of want to sing, hurrah for the red, white, and blue. Look what we eat. There's our pizza. There are our chips and our Coca-Cola and a lot of other stuff. So you look at these pictures and uh, what? Somebody here is going to say, well, what, Chris? You, you want us to cue the music from the American Humane Society commercial with Sarah McLaughlin and that crying commercial? <laughs> when, she, when she holds a sick animal and she, they begin to sing in the arms of an angel far away? <laughs> no, you like that one as much as we do in our house. Is that the point of looking at all these pictures? What? We're supposed to look at this and feel bad this morning that we live in America? Are we supposed to look at this and somehow be convicted that maybe there's something to the minimalist life? You've read about those. The guy Dave who wrote the book, The 100 Thing Challenge. Everyone go home and, and just dwindle it down, all your possessions to 100 things. And the woman writes into the blog and says, I just have a question. Are shoes one item or two? She decides they're one item. What, are we, 
we supposed to live that life with Dave, whittle all of our possessions down to 100? Are we supposed to be the woman who wore one little brown dress all year long to see if she could do it? And nobody in her world noticed she was wearing the same thing. Not even her husband. <laughs> she was very creative with that brown dress. Are we supposed to build the little 10 by 10 sustainable, totally green house? There's a family in the Olympic Peninsula that has one. They actually can hook up to the back of their pickup truck and drive around the peninsula. Totally sustainable. They can sleep four people in this tiny little 10 by 10 home. The minimalist life. Is, is that what we're supposed to be learning when Jesus says there seems to be something about people who go with less? You know, nowhere in scripture does Jesus ever condemn or say, shame on you that you have much. Jesus never tells the middle class, you should become poor. Well, there is one little story unique where a very wealthy man is told to sell everything. But you don't find these major teachings in scripture where Jesus says to everyone, there's something righteous and pure about being poor. So all of you now, I, I just want you to try the poor life. We don't see that teaching in scripture. But there is something about wealth and excess and things that seem to keep us secure. That Jesus warns that when our life is full and surrounded by these things which seem to keep us secure... We seem to have less access for what God would fill us up with. And for those who have space, it, no space, it, uh, more space in their lives, it seems to go a little different. We're at risk when we're bound to our things, when there's some kind of attractive power to our things in this world. And the therapists among us would say yes, and when we're bound to our things in such a way we can't function healthy, we're in real trouble. I'm speaking about that, and then I'm just speaking about the normal existence we've come to appreciate in America. Somehow our things keep us less open to God. You know that day when Jesus walked down on the plane and he stands close to people and a power is coming out of him? It isn't that the people just needed a spiritual fix that day because the people who showed up truly needed food and truly needed shelter and truly needed healing. In the crowd that day is a woman who's been diagnosed with breast cancer. And she can't have treatment because she doesn't have insurance that covers her. There's a young man diagnosed with HIV and he hasn't told his family and he can't afford the medication to keep him well. There's a young woman, a working mother, who's on her last paycheck. And she doesn't know where the next meal will come from. There's a teenage girl who's bought into the myth that thin is better and the more thin. And so her path of excess has taken her to a frame she's so ill. There's an alcoholic in the crowd who wonders if when the offering plate comes around, could he just reach his hand in and take a little out? When Jesus walks into the crowd that day, it's full of people with these kinds of needs. And there seems to be a message for all of us in our wealth and in our things, in our job titles, in our 800 Facebook friends. Really, they're not our friends. We just give them permission to look at our vacation and party pictures. 
But there's some kind of security in that and knowing we're connected to this group of people. I wonder if the trouble with having plenty is that it gets in the way. Our plenty makes it more difficult for us, for God to have access to us. The other thing I wonder, the other question in my mind is, does my plenty keep me from having eyes for the crouching and the destitute in the world? It's one of the reasons why many of you go on mission trips while you're here as students, and many of you as faculty and staff the rest of your life make sure that these are annual excursions that you do to keep your eyes open to the rest of the world, to, to keep your mind and your spirit attuned to, to the options that we have. Does my plenty keep me from seeing the rest of the world and, and what it is to be destitute? There's an economist, actually very well known, economist E.F. Schumacher, who says, there are poor societies which have too little. But where is the rich society that says, stop, we have enough? Economies don't work this way. There is something in the message of Jesus this morning, and I will tell you the longer that I listen to this Jesus and, and work at aligning my life with this Jesus, I realize that his words are not really sermons to be preached. Jesus' words are lives to be lived. There's not a better time than now, especially those of you young, to begin working on these difficult questions. My parents graduated from the School of Dentistry in uh, 19, I want to say 60, 61, 59, 60, 61. When you listen to them reflect later in life about what it is to come here and have nothing, they lived on a in a tiny little street down uh, off of Stewart Street, a tiny little apartment. We lived in a tiny little one off of Poplar. When you listen to these stories, my mother in particular says, we came here with nothing. She took a job on campus while my father was a student. They loved to tell stories about that tiny little apartment. They were probably never happier in life. She remembers moving into town, picking up a sheet and making the bed, and a lizard flew up in the air, <laughs> landed on her back. Never forgot their time living in Loma Linda. What they were not prepared for, for when they left this place is how their life would change. Even those of us earning ten dollars and $15,000 a year are already among the world's wealthiest population. How life will change once we feel less like beggars in the world. And what do you do with that? And what is expected of us? And, and what ought we to be doing with it? What is Jesus asking of that? I've been saying this week, God's priorities, God's agendas, God's dreams, God's purposes in the world, they look different. That's the pattern of Jesus. That's the equilibrium Jesus brings. This is less a sermon to be preached, and it's more a life to be lived. So I know a man named Mike. Mike lives on my side of town. But Mike could live on your side of town. You know, between here and down to hospitality, up and down the strip of hospitality, if you go all the way over to Hunts Lane, and you go a little further, that's where a, a lot of people live outdoors. And that's why when you go on hospitality and into Best Buy and down Restaurant Row, there's always a lot of people asking for help because they walk 
up and down the thoroughfare, and then they go home at night. We have those communities where I live, between the La Sierra University campus and Tyler Mall in particular. We've been trying to get to know these people, become friends with them, legitimately take their lives seriously and let them into our lives. I have a friend, Mike. I see Mike every Saturday, every Saturday Sabbath. Mike comes to our church. If I'm there early, I'll see him. He gets there as early as 6 a.m. Whenever I come in, he's sitting there waiting. Mike's taken to calling me Chrissy. And when I see him sitting outside, I pass by and he'll stand up and I'll get a big hug. And, and Mike never smells better and he never smells worse. He just always smells like the streets of Riverside. I don't know when he last had opportunity to bathe. But every week he's on our campus at our church. Mike, um, he sets up chairs and tables every Saturday morning, preparing for the church people to come and study. But it's been a long time now, and a few years ago, Mike decided he would not just leave, that he'd stay. So he comes to church every week. He comes to the Bible study classes every week, gets a, a warm drink and something to eat now at the breakfast time, and he stays around. I'll greet him one, one, one morning, I'll give him a hug, and he'll say, I heard you last week, Chrissy. Yeah, I heard you talking in there. He means he came to church. So for a few months, I've been asking Mike, can I come meet you where you live? I'd just love to come and meet you where you live. Sure, come. We've had three different appointments. And I drive there, and I, I, I can't find Mike. Mike will tell you his address. And if Mike were here today, everything that I'm saying right now, I could say with Mike sitting in the front row. He'll tell you his address. He lives on Hole Street. It's a little street that cuts through the side between my campus and, Cal and the Galleria. He lives in a little place that dips behind the sidewalk where there are trees and everything he owns he can keep right there. Everything he owns can fit in a couple of bags. He told me a couple of Saturdays ago when I met him about Shirley. You know Shirley, he said, you've been down on the street, you know Shirley. Yeah, she died. Yeah, we got on the bus with her a couple weeks ago because she grabbed her, grabbed at her chest and we knew she was in a bad way and we had to go out to the county hospital and yeah, she died. I asked Mike again a couple of weeks ago when he's telling me this story, Mike, don't you want to live somewhere else? Several people over the years have offered him a place to stay and it only, it only works for a couple of nights. And then he's back to his home on Hole Street. Come on, Mike. Don't you want to live someplace else? He hasn't been employed for a lot of years. He did some time in the service. He worked in some manufacturing plants in Corona. When all those plants closed down, um, well, he doesn't have any more family. And he's, he lives on the address at Hole Street. Mike, don't you want to live somewhere else? People have cleared out rooms, made space for him. He's actually now a church employee. We pay him every week to set up chairs and tables. And so trustworthy he is, he's had a key to the church for about 10 years. I just learned. Don't you want to live someplace else? Every time someone makes space for him. So he tells me a couple of weeks ago, after Shirley dies, you know how happy I am where I live. I have my whole world right at my feet. 
But Mike, you could be warm. You could have a shower. You could have food in somebody's house every day. And he says the same thing every time. I really don't need anything more. I have friends. I have a place to sleep every night. Pats his belly. Do I look like I'm not eating? It's crazy. Jesus says, there is something about the poor, like Mike, that leaves them more room to be with God. Now that's something to think about. Amen.